Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, good morning. My name is Chaplain Dan Braswell, and we are starting our first sermon series in the year that we're calling the Year of Connection. I'm looking at some of my friends who we all serve together at the chapel, my chaplain buddies, and we're at the point of no return now. I'm like, are we really going to preach through the Song of Solomon, marriage, love, and sex? Most importantly, marriage, love, and sex, God's way. I do this with some uh, fear and trembling. And by the way, this all started as it's kind of a redneck's famous last word, you won't do it kind of thing. We were looking at all our sermon series, and chaplains kind of have their favorite Bible books they like to preach through. I had a blast preaching through the Psalms and Daniel, and we're going to do Ephesians and Nehemiah, and a lot of us, oh yeah, we've, we've done that before, and it'll be fun. And it started as like Song of Solomon. We'll have to talk about sexuality and intimacy and all that kind of stuff. And it started as this, you won't do it, then it kind of came this, hold my Bible, watch this kind of thing, and here we are. We're going to go through the Song of Solomon in the next several weeks. I believe this as I was thinking about this study. What we're going to do today, and you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Song of Solomon, and I'll show you several passages there. Today's going to be an introduction to Song of Solomon, and we're going to key in in just a few moments on biblical principles for marriage. As I was thinking about the Song of Solomon this week, it hit me. When we talk about the year of connection, right out the bat, I do know this for every one of us in this room. For 2022, the most important relationship that you have in your life is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of us who are married, the second most important relationship you have with anybody on this earth is your spouse. So in case you're wondering about who is number one and who's number two, now you know for the whole rest of the year, one less thing to worry about, right? God, and then our spouse, and then on and on from there. And let me say this too, I am fully aware that everybody in this congregation is not married. I guarantee you some of us are married, and some of us are not married. We have folks who are single, we have folks who are divorced, we have folks who have been married for a long time, and we have folks who've been married for 10 or 12 minutes or so right now. We have people in this room with children. We have people in this room with no children. Different backgrounds. Here's what I can tell you. No matter what your marital status or where you're at in life, I guarantee you that we're preaching through God's Word, number one, and that it'll have something to say to you. If you'll stick with us for these next six weeks as we go through this Bible study. In fact, the Hebrew name for the Song of Solomon, that we'll typically call it Song of Solomon, the Hebrew, it's really the Song of Songs. And what that means is the, is the idea of like, this is the best one. One of the rabbis, his name is Akiba ben Joseph, he said this of this book. In the entire world, there's nothing to equal the day in which the Song of Songs was given to Israel. He said all the writings are holy, but the Song of Songs is the holy of holies. In other words, this was the number one hit song of the Jerusalem hit parade around 1000 BC. 
I was looking up today lyrics of the most popular love songs today. Let's just say that most of them I'm not going to use as a sermon illustration for Schofield Community Chapel today. But for 1000 BC, this was the stuff. And guess what? I contend to you that because it's God's word, it's still the stuff. Let me say this too to our parents. We're going to talk about love, marriage, and sex God's way, but let me assure you, all of our chaplains, we're not going to do anything that's going to make you have to go home and have an awkward conversation or anything. We're, we're, we're going to look at this biblically, but at the same time, if, if, you, if you have children that you, that you don't want to have in those sermons, you're welcome to have them in children's church and, and those kind of things. In fact, as we were planning through the series, there's one message that's going to specifically be about intimacy, probably in more detail than the other messages, and it, it fell on the fifth Sunday, which we are not going to have children's church that Sunday. We said, nope, nope, let's, let's switch that so, that so that our folks, so that you have a chance to send your children to children's church if you, if you would like to do that. We live in a day where uh, marriage, I believe, is on the attack. Uh, we live in a day where there's, there's, there's all kinds of ways to, to meet people. As I was studying this, I ran across that some of our states in the, in the country are trying to make it easier for our singles to, to get dating apps. Colorado just passed a law that makes it illegal for the dating apps, and I'm, I'm certainly not up on how all that stuff works. Back in my day, we just met people face-to-face -face and talked to them. We didn't have all the, the internet, but, but in, in, in Colorado, they made a new law that the dating services that are, that are available on your phone or on your computer in Colorado, they're going to make it a three-day window before you have to pay for the app. So if, if you're one of these apps who are for-profit and you're going to you know, sell your app and you pay for it, good news, you've got three days to find the man or woman of your dreams before they make you start paying to have to, to, have to find it. But I've got good news for you. We've got the Song of Solomon right here in front of us, and guess what? It's totally free. And you can keep going back to it, and you can study. So we're going to look at that together in the next several weeks. Today will be more of an introduction. Let me share one more quote from you just because I think it's beautiful. Bernard of Clairvaux said this of the Song of Solomon. He said, it, it is it that is the, the song, the, the actual book. It is not a melody that resounds abroad, but is the very music of the heart. Not a trilling on the lips, but an inward pulsing of delight. A harmony not of just voices, but of wills. It is a tune you will not hear in the streets. These notes do not sound where crowds assemble. Only the singer hears it, and the one to whom he sings, the lover and the beloved. When you read through the Song of Solomon, the Song of Solomon is, is in that wisdom literature category like Proverbs and like Psalms. However, this is very poetic, as we'll see in the next several weeks, very poetic language talking about a relationship between a husband and a wife. With that, I uh, invite you, let's just look at the first part of the book, and let's read a couple of verses together. I'll begin in verse 1 in chapter 1, and I'll skip a couple of several chapters down, just to give us a glimpse of what Song of Solomon is about. He says this, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And then she begins, I'll explain who that is, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. I guarantee you somebody in this room is like, good night, I didn't know that was in the Bible right out the bat, I guarantee you. Verse number three, your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. Draw me after you, let us run, the king has brought me 
into his chamber. I want you now just to flip a few pages over to Song of Solomon chapter 7. And I simply want to read verse 10. This is a phrase that shows up several times in the book. And it says this, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. This is a picture of a husband and wife relationship and their intimacy and their closeness and their walk together and their walk with the Lord. Now, those of you who know something about Solomon may already be asking the question, how did this guy write the book of Song of Solomon? And some of you say, why do you bring that up? Well, Solomon, who was the son of David, at one point he asked God for wisdom, and it said that he's the wisest man, right? As you read his story, he has several hundred wives. He has several hundred concubines. It's up, upwards, getting pretty close to a thousand not only that, when you follow his life, he also allowed all the different people that he married, their cultures that were not godly, to influence him. And he became known and connected to idolatry. He certainly was connected to polygamy. So how did somebody connected with idolatry and somebody connected to polygamy write Song of Solomon? This is the classic, like, who are you to do this? You, you're, not, you're not an expert. Well, different commentaries say different things about wh why that is. I'll, just, I'll share with you what, what, what we think as a, as a team. We, again, some of you probably know we, we meet together, our chaplains do, and we study these things together. It seems to be that, yes, Song of Solomon wrote the book, and that under the inspiration of God, he is writing a picture of what is the ideal or the correct characteristics of a marriage relationship. Does that make sense? Even though if you look at Solomon's life, it's certainly not pristine in this department, he still is writing God's Word on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he is giving us a picture of what marriage is in a highly poetic fashion. Now, I want to show you a picture. Uh, go ahead to the next slide just to show you our background as a chapel team. There are six of us, and all of us are married, so I thought it'd be fun to... There's some of our uh, wedding pictures back when some of us were about 10 or 12 years old, I think. Um, some of them look exactly, man, where's Chaplain Thompson? Is he in Children's Church or is he in here? Man, he looks just the same, man. I don't know to rejoice or just be mad about it, you know. He just... So there's, uh, there's uh, the Runnels family, the Ellis family, and the Thompson family. You can go to the next slide. And it'll be myself and Cheryl, the Braswells, the Harrisons. And then, and then the Bryants. So all of us are married. I thought it'd be fun to collect those pictures. And um, I didn't do the math, but I don't know, 100 years of marriage experience maybe between, between all of us, those kind of things. So just, just so you'll know, that, that's who we are. We're married. And I say this, and, and, and I really wanted to bring this point up. We are not too quick to cast too many stones on Solomon because if you were to talk to our families and talk to our wives... Or, or just let us just be honest with you. We're all struggling to figure out what a godly, what a Christian marriage looks like as well. We're not standing in front of you like a bunch of folks who's got it all figured out. And, and, you know, Cheryl just comes home and talks to me like this lady talks. And I talk to her like that on the phone all the time and, and all that kind of stuff. No, we have conflict. We have all kinds of things come up. We all do. We're all in this together. And, and right out the bat, and this is all introductory material, we'll get to our, our, our uh, principles and our points in a minute, but it doesn't matter where you're at in your life. This, uh, 
series may excite you with the hope and the promise of, of sort of having an opportunity to grow closer to the Lord and closer to your spouse, this series might scare you a little bit. I don't know what my future holds. This series might make you a little bit sad as you think about, well, my marriage is not this or my marriage is not that. I hope this is hopeful to you because I hope that as we study together, we're learning together from God's Word what a biblical marriage is. What I'd like for you to do now is to just flip back to that passage that Garrett read for us earlier and just keep your place in Song of Solomon. I want to look together at Genesis chapter 2. I will read it to you again and, and I want you today, what we're going to focus on is we'll look at Song of Solomon some more, but I'm going to share with you, I think it's four biblical principles of marriage. I, it, it seems like before we jump into everything the Song of Solomon has to say, we have to step back one step further and say, what is a biblical marriage? I think of it this way, for you to see correctly what God has for your life, that's why I took my glasses off, you have to have a biblical worldview. That is, when you look at your marriage, when you look at your life, when I look at where I'm at, in order for me to see correctly, I have to look through the lens of God's Word, or nothing else will make sense. We can't jump in and talk about this husband and wife and, and what they say to each other until we understand what a biblical marriage is. Well, let's go back and look at Genesis 2 for just a little bit, and then we'll, we'll give you some, some points in our outline in Genesis 2, verse 22, he read this. It says, The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, what? This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for they are taken. she was taken out of man. Verse 24, This is why a man leaves his father and mother, some translations say, cleave to his wife, or united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Before God instituted the church, before God instituted any sort of government on this earth, he instituted marriage. That idea cleaved, it means join, it means to be fastened at the grip, join together, to stick together. It implies something that's going to take work. I think it implies there's going to be times we're going to have to, each other's what we have. That, the kind of the idea is we need each other. One person put it this way, every marriage when you get married, the other person, you should put a sign up that says, warning, this other person will not support the weight of your soul. In other words, we cleave together, but on top of that, we need, we need the Lord. Because we all find ourselves in places where, where, we don't, where we don't get it right. We live in a world where marriage is being attacked. We live in a world where we're trying to I don't even know what it all is, but you swipe left and swipe right, and y'all can explain it to me later, where these apps where you, where you find the, the, love of your, the love of your life. What I'm encouraging you to do is don't worry so much about swipe left. Don't worry so much about swipe right. Let's worry about looking up and seeing what God has to say for our relationships as we look at this book together. One of my pastors I used to serve with, he used to take about that long for his introductions, and he would go, and that was the introduction. So that was the introduction. 
but we want to lay some groundwork. Now we're going to look at some biblical foundations of marriage. For those of you who like to take notes, point number one. God designed marriage to be between one man and one woman. We've already read this passage, but you can turn back if you will, or I can just simply read it to you in Song of Solomon 7. It simply says, I belong to my lover, and his desire is for me. There's this idea of exclusivity. When you read through the Song of Solomon, and you're going to hear all all of us that preach through this series, you're going to hear us say the same things over and over because they come up throughout the book. It's this idea of, he is mine. She is mine. It comes through all the time. There's this idea of exclusivity. What we read in Genesis 2 has this idea of, of leaving the father and mother and cleaving to the spouse. I can attest as a chaplain, a lot of the counselings I have, uh, the reason the marriage is, is being challenged is because they haven't really left mom and dad to cleave to the spouse. There's, there's, a, there's a leaving and a cleaving there. It implies exclusivity. Ephesians chapter 5, which we don't have time certainly to expound all the rich truth that's there about husbands and wives, but it does talk very specifically about one man and one woman. I want to point out very clearly in in these passages, it is the biblical foundation of marriage. I know that all kinds of people define marriage different ways, but I'm going to be clear on what the Bible says about marriage. It is between one man and one woman. A biblical marriage is not one man and one man. It cannot be because that's not what the Bible teaches. A biblical marriage is not a woman and a woman. That's not a biblical marriage. We've already read the passages. We could go on and read more. There's there's examples of polygamy certainly in the Bible, but when you read through the Scriptures, it's very clear that God's design for marriage is not multiple wives. It is not some sort of polygamy. To be an equal opportunity offender, let me just go on. A biblical marriage is, has, is not premarital sex. A biblical marriage is not some sort of idea of cohabitation. We were very intentional in our title, marriage, love, and sex, God's way. There was a little intentionality in that order as well. Biblical marriage is God's design between one man and one woman. All the other things that are out there, and we could go on and on, are not what God intended. How do I know that? Because that's not what the Bible pictures a marriage is. Does that make sense? Now, we live in a world where there's a lot of different views on that. There's a brand new law in a particular country that says it is illegal to persuade someone to change their lifestyle to that of a heterosexual or a particular gender identity. I don't know if you know that, but if you read through the news, there's a law in a particular country that says you cannot try to persuade someone to change that. Even in our own country, we've redefined what a, what a legal marriage is, but I want to let you know Go on social media. There's all kinds of ideas on, on these things, but I want to let you know right out, the, right out the bat, it does not matter what laws say. It does not matter what society says is a norm. What matters is that very clearly in the Bible, it is between one man and one woman. Point number two. Number two is this. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. 
That is one man and one woman in a relationship together that is exclusive to one another. I want to read another passage of Scripture to you that Jesus, as he quotes Genesis 2, you don't have to turn there, but I'll, but I'll read it to you. As Jesus was talking about divorce and they asked him about it, he quotes Genesis 2 and then in, in Matthew 19, 7, he quotes it, so they are no longer two but one flesh. And then he makes that great statement that for those of us who are chaplains, it's one of the, one of the coolest things I love to say in, the, in a wedding ceremony. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. A biblical marriage is designed to be lifelong. That is God's design. Now, I'm fully aware that in, in this room, we, many of us have not lived necessarily God's design. Well, guess what? All of us have not lived according to God's design in all kinds of areas. I bring that up to say God forgives. God loves us. God still has a plan for your life. So I don't want you to leave here thinking, oh, woe is me, I'm undone. There's always hope with the Lord. But God's original design for marriage is one man and one woman for life. See, marriage is a picture of the gospel. What that means is that if you read through Ephesians, for example, it talks about Wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, what? Love your, life, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That relationship is designed to be ongoing and forever, till death do us part. The same way that God designed his relationship with us, it is forever, right? God so loved the world, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have what kind of life? Eternal life, everlasting life. You see this idea throughout the Scripture. If you go back to Genesis and you notice the first and the most important relationship that any of us have is our relationship with God. In Genesis chapter, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God names Adam and has a relationship with Adam. In that chapter, it talks about Adam walking with God. The next relationship with Adam has is the his relationship with his wife, right? Eve, and we just read about that. And then third would be your children and your family. And by the way, the Song of Solomon, I'll tell you up front, doesn't have a lot of child-rearing advice specifically in the book. But I will tell you this, mom and dad, do you want to know the best thing you can do for your children, whether they're over here or sitting in here or somewhere else? You know the best thing you can do is to strive to love God and to have a biblical marriage. Husband, the best thing you could do for your children is to show them that you love God with everything you have, but number two in your life is that wife. Wife, the number one thing you can do for your children is to love God and show those children that number one, number two in your life is Him. If you want some child-rearing advice to go along with the Song of Solomon, that's it. If we, if we, if we get this right, it'll be a blessing to our children. As we go back to the Song of Solomon, just to help you think through it a little bit, when you read through the Song of Solomon, and, and take time uh, in the next weeks to read through it, it's eight chapters, some say that the Song of Solomon, chapter 1 through 4, is sort of a picture of their courtship, as we would call an engagement or a courtship, leading up to chapter 4, and then their marriage in chapter 4 leading up to chapter 5, and then the rest of it is some more of their, of their marriage. But the point number two is a lifelong commitment. So marriage is between one man and one woman. I think we covered that. Number two, it's lifelong. Here's a number three biblical principle for marriage. Intimacy 
and sex in marriage is a good and perfect gift from God. I want you to go to Song of Solomon and I want you to go to chapter, the end of chapter 4, the first of chapter 5. And before I read that, let me say this. According to, to the Bible, sex is a good thing that is protected by marriage, not an evil thing made permissible by marriage. How many of you, how many of you grew up in a, maybe in a church or a culture that was in, in maybe good intentions, but it, it sent the message that like all they ever told you as a young person was, don't have sex for marriage, don't do it for marriage, don't do it for marriage, and then there was really never anything else. Any of y'all kind of have that experience a little bit? Well, when I was growing up, there was the True Love Waits campaign, and, I, and I, I think it was a good campaign, but I went back and I read the statement that they made, and the last part of the statement is you, you're promising that you're going to save yourself, and it says, and I will remain sexually pure until the day that I get married, and then it stops like that. And as an older person, as I reflect on that, it makes me go, well, wait a minute. If I remain sexually pure until the day I'm married, and then I get married, am I now sexually impure? According to Song of Solomon, absolutely not. As you maintain this intimate relationship with your spouse, you're still just as sexually pure as you were before you were married. Let's look at it together. Beginning in verse, in chapter 4. Now, I will share with you that Brother Kenneth, he's been married longer than me, so we wanted him to cover the intimacy. That's why we switched. He's going to cover intimacy for us in a few weeks. He'll go into more detail, but allow me just to introduce it to you as we cover this main important point. Go down to verse, chapter 4, verse 15. He says, he says this, this is he that is Solomon. So I didn't say this yet, but let me make sure you understand. The he in the, in the verse is Solomon, the she is Shulamite, which is really just a Hebrew word for, for Solomon. And then there's some of your translations say others, it'll say a chorus. They talk, the whole verse, it's them talking to each other in poetic language, and then there's the others who sort of comment on what they're saying or praise them for what they're saying. That's the sort of the three characters. I promise you at the beginning that I wouldn't go home and I wouldn't force you as a, as a parent to go home and have to explain some things to your children, but I just want you to see these verses, and I think I can help us understand what he's talking about without a whole lot of... Um, Bible scholar background. Look at verse 15. He says this. He says, A garden fountain, a well of living water, and flowing streams from Lebanon. Now look at verse 16. He's talking to her. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden, and let its spices flow. Let my beloved... Now, here's, now she's talking now. He says that. He says, come to the garden. And then she says, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Let me give you a phrase that I think will help you go, oh, this is not rocket science to figure out what they're talking about. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits, if you know what I mean. If you just kind of keep that phrase in the back of your mind, and let me say this, nowhere in this book is sex degraded, is it seen as dirty, is it seen as pornographic, but it is seen as something that is from God. Now, I want you to see chapter 5, verse 1, though. So she says, come, take the fruits. And then Song of Solomon 5, he says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride, and I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank 
my wine with my milk. Again, if you know what I mean, you'll figure out what they're talking about. Does there, is everybody tracking? If not, we'll be glad to explain it more after the service, okay? Now, what I really want to key in on, however, look at the last part of that verse. We haven't read yet. My Bible just simply says others, but the last part says eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. I ask myself, who is that speaking? Who is talking there? And I'll tell you what I think. I think that that is God speaking. I can't help but think that as you read through the book, and, and I won't give it all away today, there's a whole lot more to unpack, but I want you to see under this topic of sex as a gift from God, I want you to see as they consummate their marriage, which we just read, I think you have God himself saying, this is a good thing, eat, drink, this is a blessed thing, this is a gift to you. Now let me say this, I know there's people in this room who's had different types of trauma in your life. I hope that maybe the Lord can use this to help bring some healing. Because God's design for sexuality is that it's a good and perfect gift. We simply have to, as we read through the Song of Solomon, what you're going to find is you've you got to figure out all the, all the poetry that doesn't make sense to us. For example, if you go back to Song of Solomon 1 verse 9, he calls her a horse. I mean, right out the gate, this, this woman pours her undying love to him, and he says, oh, you're like a stallion, or you're like a mare, and you're like, what? Is that, that, that's, how you, that's how you start your, your, your flirtatious stuff, is you call her a horse? In chapter 4, verse 1, he says her hair's like goats. What? I like verse 2. It's, my fa it's one of my favorite imageries in all the book. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 2. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep. I mean, what woman doesn't want to hear that? Having come up from the washing, look at all of which bear twins, not one among them has lost its young. Is this guy actually looking to get action or not? I mean, the kind of stuff that he says, your teeth are like a flock of sheep and they all have their twin. Wow, she has her teeth, all of them. That's pretty impressive in 1000 BC, I can only imagine. He says her neck is big and strong. That's what every woman wants to hear about how thick her neck is. I'm not making this stuff up, but let me say this. You, you, you have to, and we'll unpack it, as you study it, it's, it's imagery that, that might not make sense to us because we're not, we're, we're several thousand years removed, but you will get the picture that he is doing what he can poetically to describe his love for her and then she to him. Something I thought of as I was thinking about this, a way to describe it is when I was growing up in the 90s, Joe Diffie did a song, I think it was him, called John Deere Green. And it's a song about some people who grew up in the 60s and they fell in love. Let me read to you this great American poetry. They were farm kids way down in Dixie. They met in high school in the 60s. Nice rhyme. Everyone knew it was love from the start. One July in the midnight hour, he climbed on the water tower. Brings a tear to your eye, doesn't it? Stood on the rail and painted a 10-foot heart in John Deere Green. Has a chorus on a hot summer night. He wrote, Billy Bob loved Charlene in letters three foot high. And the whole town said he should have used red, but it looked good to Charlene in John Deere Green. I'm sorry I didn't provide you with Kleenexes as I read that awesome love poetry. Now, if somebody read that song maybe 400 years from now, I don't even know if John Deere will still be around. I don't know if John Deere Green will mean anything. 
But if you were kind of a kid who lived in a, not an urban place or more of a rural place in the southeast, you get that. But if you didn't know where the context was, you might not get it. This is similar in Song of Solomon. So as we read through, there's a lot of poetry. You might be like, man, if I, my husband goes home and tells me I have goat here, we're, we're, we're going to have some trouble. So don't do that. But the principle is the same. The principle is we are, we are, we're going to see pick principles of praising our spouse and how that's a good thing. But point number three is simply sex is a good and perfect gift from God. Now point number four, and this will be our, our last point. Marriage is going to take communication, and they talk a lot in this. That's what the whole thing is, is them talking to each other. Communication, repentance, because we're all sinners, we're going to wrong each other from time to time, right? Forgiveness, and it's going to take some grace. Next week, a whole sermon is going to be devoted to the, to, to the power of praising your spouse, you're going to see through here how they, how they praise one another, how they communicate to one another. In this book, the woman speaks about 70% of the time. And from what we can tell from reading it, he's actually listening to everything she says. Communication is very important. Praise is important. Because as this book's going to say later on, there's going to be times that we're going to have to deal with problems in our marriage. For those of you who are not married, I want you to plant these things in your mind. I want you to write these things down as you're praying. If, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you uh, have someone that you're thinking about marrying or, or, or someone comes along your path that God puts there, I want you to know these things and think about these things. There's going to be times you'll have to deal with problems. There's a passage in this book that talks about dealing with the little foxes. In other words, the idea is like we have a garden, but the fox comes in and eats all the, all the food. How do we deal with that? We're going to talk in, in one of our sermons about how to, how to deal with the, with the problems that come up. We'll talk about conflict. This book is a picture of the ideal relationship between a husband and a wife. I am fully aware that your life and my life are not always ideal. We have regret, regrets. We have heartaches. And the reason that marriage is so hard is because remember what I said, your most important relationship is your relationship with God. But number two is your spouse. Because of that closeness, because of that one fleshness, anytime there's hurt in our marriages, that's why it hurts so much because we, we care about our spouses and we love our spouses so much. It's also the place where we're the most vulnerable to sin and we're the most vulnerable to, to find our place in a, find ourselves in a place of sorrow. The Song of Songs, remember, it's the best of the best. Our relationship with our spouse is to be a pattern and pattern itself after our relationship between Christ and His church. Uh, this book is a picture of the gospel. One of the things we're going to do in our series in the next coming weeks is we're going to put in a bulletin. It didn't quite make it into the insert in the bulletin this morning, but I think there's floating around. I hope some of you got a little true-false thing that's like a half sheet like that. If you didn't, we'll have some. Henderson, are there extra ones in the back if anybody needs to grab some maybe in the back? Okay, they're all given out. I got one more here if somebody wants it. If, if you need it, we'll email it or I'll tell you what I'll do. We can post it on Facebook. Yeah, so that'll work too. So just um, we'll get you some more. 
And this is every week we're going to give you something to do at home to think about what God's Word is saying. And let me say this. We talked about this as a, as a chaplain team, and, and I think it's true. This message and this sermon series in particular, how God uses it in your life and mine, is not necessarily going to happen immediately after the service. It's going to happen as you go home. We may be reading through God's Word and looking at principles of marriage, and you and your spouse may have to go home and say, hey, we need to have a serious conversation. You may need to realign some things in your life. I may need to readjust some things because I go, this is what God's picture is. My life is not lined up. The results from this sermon series is not going to come immediately after the service. It's going to come with what we do with it at home. So what we're trying to do is give you something every week that you can take home and jumpstart conversations and prayer. I'll close with this as the way we started. I believe in 2022 the most important relationship that you and I have is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But then number two, the next one, if you're married, is your spouse. Our prayer is that as we talk about the year of connection, that we connect with our spouse in a way that glorifies God. For these next few weeks, would you join us as we go on this journey together? I invite you to pray with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the inspired word of God that tells us how we can have a relationship with you and God how we can have a relationship with each other. We recognize in this book that every good and perfect gift is from you. God, I pray for our congregation this morning. I pray for those who are married that you would help us to have a Christ-centered marriage, that we would grow in our relationship with you and our relationship with one another. God, I pray for our singles. I, I pray that in all their relationships in life that they would find godly people that they could be a blessing to and could be a blessing to them. And God, may you lead them in these things as well. God, for those of us who are carrying heartache and hurt in some of these areas, God, I pray that you'd use your word to bring healing. For those of us who's hurt one another, I pray that you could bring healing because ultimately we know you've forgiven us so great. Help us to Repent to one another and, and forgive each other for the times we've hurt one another. God, bring us closer to you and closer to each other in the coming days. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.